Hello, everyone. Welcome to Sabbath School Gems, where each week we showcase key concepts from this week's Seventh-day Adventist Sabbath School lesson. Hello, everyone. This is Lesson 6 for the fourth quarter of 2022, and it's titled, He Dies for Us, and it's from the quarterly on death, dying, and the future hope. Now, in this Gems, we're going to be focusing on John 3.15, the memory text of this lesson, which is, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And that's John three fourteen and 15. And oftentimes this is translated as the Son being lifted up, as in Jesus dying on the cross, and he's lifted up onto the cross, or even that he's resurrected. But this passage is talking about something different. To really understand this passage, we have to understand what that incidence was where Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. So that is found in Numbers 21, verses 4 through 9, which I'm going to read. Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. I suppose they're talking about manna. And this isn't the first time that they've gotten to this point. This has been a continual pattern that they've had where they get to a situation, and instead of trusting God, as he's always brought them in the past, they just murmur against him, and they rise up against Moses, and they get angry, So this has been a continual pattern. They have not been able to learn in the past when they wanted water, let's say, and Moses struck the rock and brought forth water for them, but they still do not want to go to God. They still do not want to trust God. Instead, they murmur against him. So here they are again. And so this time, Numbers 21, verse 6, it says, So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. So they thought their situation was bad, but it just got worse. And therefore the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. We have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole and it shall be that everyone who is bitten when he looks at it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole and so it was. If a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. And this is a real interesting passage because, first of all, God tells them not to make anything molded of any likeness of anything. So we know that this is not a idol, so to speak, that it's not something that they would think has inherent power in it. I mean, in Exodus 20, Verses four and five, it says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to it nor serve it for I am the Lord your God, I'm a jealous God. So we know that and also in Exodus 34, it says you shall make no molden gods. That was after they made the the golden calf. They melted the the gold and made that. Then he had to specifically say, you shall make no molded gods. Before he said no carved images. Then he specifically said, no molded God. So we know that this serpent isn't intended to be something that's 
like an icon or has magical powers in any way. We know that would be a violation of what God instructed to begin with. So what is this serpent on the pole? And by the way, that's our medical symbol, right? There's the, the serpent twisted around the pole. And that's, the, that's our symbol for, for medical. And that, this is where it comes from, the Bible, in this passage where they look on the serpent and they're healed. But they're not looking at the serpent. You notice what's happening is these people are coming and they're saying, we sinned. They're acknowledging that the reason why they have those serpents is because they sinned. And they are acknowledging and, and asking Moses to go to God they're acknowledging that God is the one that can save them. And so that's, that serpent on the pole becomes a symbol for that. It becomes a physical, tangible thing that they can see because, you know, they can't see God. This is something that they can see that can point them to this very thing, that it can remind them. They're the ones that sinned. They're the ones that murmured against God. God's the one who can save them and save them from the serpent's deathly bite. And so that's what that pole is, and Moses is holding it. They know that Moses is aligned with God, that God is the one who can forgive them, that their sin against God and their murmuring against God was not right, that brings death, and that this is gonna bring life. Okay, so that's what that is about. They're not worshiping that serpent, they're not thinking it has any power whatsoever. And we look at this, passage in John then, starting in verse 10, Jesus answered and said to them, are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? And he's talking to Nicodemus. And he says, most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. So he's saying, we're speaking. We, Jesus and his disciples are speaking what they know, and they're testifying what they've seen. Jesus is testifying of the Father, and it says, and you do not receive our witness. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the son of man who is in heaven, or that is also who is of heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up, that whoever believes on him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. But how is it going to be saved? It's going to be saved like Moses lifting up the serpent. In other words, Jesus is going to be there. He is our vision of God. He is showing us how the Father is with compassion, with humility, and with love. And he's showing us that so that we can believe. Believe what? We can believe that God is the source, that he is the one that can forgive us, that we are the ones that have wronged him when we sin and we go against him, and that we can look on him and be saved. That's what it's, that's what it's saying. Now, I know that there's some interpretation that somehow if you just believe in the name of Jesus, and you just see him on the cross, he's lifted up on the cross. That word lifted up is, is it's talking about that in a figurative sense. Jesus is lifted up, he's exalted, he's exalted, he is 
exalted by God. He goes and sits on his right hand and he sits as the high priest, as the priest king. So in that sense, he is exalted. He's lifted up. This doesn't have to do with being raised up on a stake, nailed to a cross, which the, the cross is not a sacrificial act. Jesus did not undergo a sacrifice. He wasn't sacrificed as by priests where they transfer the blood and he didn't undergo that. He, he was murdered. Basically, he was executed politically and religiously executed by these people. So just to get that clear, this is talking about Jesus being raised up and his example for us. The lesson study brings out a quote by Ellen White that says, his whole life was a preface to his death on the cross. And the question is, did Jesus have to die? And, and this sounds like his whole life was a preface to his death on the cross. I think the lesson study also says that he was born to die or implied that. And that doesn't really sound too good. I, Jesus was not born to die any more than we're all born to die because we're going to die. But this passage, which is found in Fundamentals of Christian Education, page 382, it's if you read the very next sentence, it says, his character was a life of obedience to all God's commandments and was to be a sample for all men upon the earth. He was the living of the law in humanity. So this is the key, that Jesus was the sample or he was the example. He's just as a serpent was a visible thing that they could see, but it was really just pointing them to God. The same thing with Jesus. He is something that we can see. He was a man. He walked, he talked, he said things. And we can look to him and he's our example of obedience to God. And so we look to him as an example and we look to him and we find God and that is our hope. That is our salvation. When, when she says his whole life is a preface to his death on the cross, it means that he lived his whole life in humble service and he died in that same capacity. He died, she says, as a solemn oblation. That's the meaning of this. Did she's saying the same thing that the Bible is really saying when it's talking about he's being an example to us. He's being lifted up in the sense that he's being honored and he's being shown that he is our example, that we're to look to him to find God. The serpent on the pole was just to point them to their sins, point them to repentance and point them to God for salvation. And that's the same role that Jesus has. So that's the description of that passage. There's another aspect of how Jesus presents this and that's in John 6. Starting in verse 45, I'll just read that. It says, It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. Why? Why do they believe in him? And they have everlasting life because it says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. And the Jews quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us flesh to eat? 
And then Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you. Now, see, they were interpreting it all literally. They were saying, how is he going to give us flesh to eat? But it's a figurative interpretation. Jesus said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. For the flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. So when you eat something, when we eat something, it becomes part of us. Those chemicals are broken down and then they're built back into tissue. So when we eat things, they become part of our body. We can't separate it anymore. And this is what Jesus is talking about. When we behold him and when we, when we eat of his flesh and we drink his blood, it means he becomes part of us. His life and the way he operates is the way that we operate, that we become like him. You know, they say, you are what you eat. Well, this is, this is how it works because what you eat becomes you and it becomes part of you. And this is what he's talking about in a figurative sense. When we behold him, we're really eating him. It's not, we're not just looking and saying, yeah, I believe in the name of Jesus. Yes, I believe he died on the cross. Yes, I believe this, I believe that. It's not this intellectual belief or just saying it with our lips it's actually living it it's actually living like he lives becoming like him and like his service to the father it says as a living father sent me and i live because of the father so he who feeds on me will live because of me we're living because of him but we're living because of the father this is the bread which came down from heaven not as your fathers ate manna and are dead he who eats this bread will live forever. So what he's saying is he's bringing us that bread. He's the bringer of that bread from the Father, which is going to give us life. How do we get life? We do as he did. And just as I said before, as Ellen White said about Jesus, that his character was a life of obedience to all God's commandments and was to be a sample for all men upon the earth. He was a living law in humanity. So he's showing us how to be like the Father, how to be in conformity with the Father. So instead of us getting wrapped up in the, in the death and the blood and the flesh and all that, we really should be looking at this, the, the concept that Jesus is trying to communicate, that he's showing us the way, he's showing us the Father, he's showing us, like that serpent on the pole, where does salvation come from and where does it all lead to? They were not worshiping that serpent on the pole that Moses had. It was only to point them to God. And Jesus is here to point us to God. And this is such an important topic. This is such a big gems that I think we'll just start and end with this gems. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Sabbath School Gems. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe give us a rating, and spread the word to others. Comments and questions can be sent to us at sabbathschoolgems at gmail.com. Bye for now.